Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the Men Talk About podcast. I am your host, Paul Newell. If this is the first time that you come to the podcast, welcome. First of all, I appreciate you. Thanks for stopping in to join this. And this podcast is uh, by a man. Uh, we're interviewing men and this is for men and the masculine energies. Um, we're here and the content that we have here is designed and intent on helping men with education on ways of being, ways of living, ways of being in relationship in all things uh, and with all things. This is also about men's development. What are the tools, offering tools, insight, resources to help men to get to that next level, get to that next thing that they wanna to get to. And this is also about doing the inner work because listen, we could talk about having the best life and that junk is gonna take action and inner work. And we get to connect with men that are bringing themselves to the world in a way that is beautiful and unique. And, um, and you, you know, for people that listen to this podcast, you know what I'm about to say, you know what I'm about to say, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited, man. Cause like, listen, I, I know these people, I'm connected with these guests that I have and um, I'm excited for you to connect with them too. And today in this podcast, we have coach Michael Taylor. First time I connected with Michael, coach Michael Taylor was through the Mankind Project. You guys have heard me mention that several times. Um, and, and being a, a black man and being an entrepreneur and how he carries himself, my experience of Michael, uh, Coach Michael Taylor is that, uh, and I'm gonna call him coach throughout this. Um, so, but my experience of coach is that he's real, he's genuine, he cuts, he, he cuts through the BS and he's direct and he's kind and he wants the best for people that he's connected with. And I'm like, anytime, anytime I'm in his energy, I was telling him before, anytime I'm in his space, I'm like, yeah, I, I like my spine gets, Upright, I'm like, yeah, man, we're about to go into some goodness. So Michael, Coach Michael Taylor, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here with us, man. And I can't express in words, man, how happy I am to be here with you. Uh, I connected with you years ago, listening to your uh, rants on, on Facebook. And I said, <laughs> man, this brother, I, I admire your authenticity, your vulnerability, and especially as a man who happens to be Black. Um, because I know how important it is for us to have spaces where we really get real and you always get real. And that's what I always appreciated you. And again, it is just my absolute honor and pleasure to be on your podcast with you today. Blessings, coach. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is a blessing, man. And uh, I, I want to run down for the people some of the things that you do, because we're going to get into, we're going to get into a lot of things today. Um, and to, before I get into the specifics, uh, I'm going to, you guys may see my, uh, for those when you, for those that are going to watch the video on YouTube later, you may see me looking off. I'm, I want to make sure that I get in the books that uh, Coach has written. So um, listen, first of all, I want to recognize that Coach has a coaching, he has a coaching business. He also has a multimedia business, publishing business. He's written books. Like I told you, I told you all from the, my first experience with him, he's about compassion, kindness, and about making sure that people get the right information and a different perspective, which I dig. So check out some of the titles of his books. Brothers, are you listening? A guy, a success guide for the new millennium. Another one, a new conversation with men. Next one, Black Men Rock, 10 Keys to Empower Black Men to Live Extraordinary lives 
Next one, adversity is your greatest ally. Next one, lessons from a gathering of men. And the one that we're gonna cut, we're gonna dive into today is shattering black male stereotypes. Um, this is the one that I'm reading right now. I've yet to finish it. I dove in. Um, coach said, listen, Paul, if you have some feedback, I'd love to hear it. So I figured that we'd go over the feedback on the podcast today because a lot of what I heard, um, I think is, is tip-top information for every Black man on the planet to read at least one of these books. Because that now I'm looking at this like, Coach, Coach, you're like, my, you're like I, I don't, I, I'm trying to recall the woman that wrote Harry Potter. Like, you had these different versions. I feel like you're, you're that author for me right now. Because I'm like, once I'm done with this, I'm going to the next one, man. Because you have gems in here that, as I mentioned, are tip-top for Black men. And I also think are applicable for men in general. So we're going to dive into that today. Um, and I see also, and also I want to hide... Uh, tap into a couple other things. There's a couple other books too. The New Face of Entrepreneurship. Because uh, coach, I wanna dive into that as well because what with what you do and how you do it, I really wanna invite people to hear your perspective on things. And then also uh, The Cure for Onlyness, a guide to, a black man's guide to joy, passion, and purpose. I've yet to read that one and I wanna dive into that one today too. So um, listen, let's get it in because we gotta, Hour a little bit change, so I'll make the most of it. So, first of all, um, Coach, can you share with the people? Um, you know, you do a lot of things, and you've been in this game for a minute. And when I say game, I mean the development, management, leadership game. So, can you first? Can you can you share what was a situation or time that had you recognize your um, capacity to share and bring value what was that moment in space for you well let's go back almost 30 years so at the age of 23 i was living the american dream i had mm -hmm. the house the wife the 2.5 kids the 401ks and all of that and by society mm -hmm. standards i was successful i had made it right right and within approximately a six and a half year time frame my american dream turned into the american nightmare as I went through a divorce, bankruptcy, foreclosure, a deep, deep state of depression. I was actually homeless for two years living out of my car. And during the darkest period of my life, I received a miracle. I was sitting up late one night because I was too depressed to sleep. And I was sitting at the edge of my bed, looking across the room at my bookshelf, when I happened to notice that every book on my bookshelf had something to do with getting rich I'm making money. And as I sat there looking at those books, this question just popped in my head. Michael, what if you took all the energy and effort you've used in trying to get rich and simply figure out how to be happy? Now, as simplistic as that question sounds, it literally changed and saved my life in an instant. Something in me shifted. I could never put it in words. But all of a sudden, my depression lifted, and I had this amazing clarity that my life was going to become extraordinary. Now, I had absolutely no evidence to support that because right, I was right. completely broke. But there was something in me that intuitively knew that I was going to be able to rebuild my life. 
Mm. So that's when I began what I'll call my journey of transformation. Now, a couple of questions came out of that journey. And one of the most powerful questions that came out of that journey was, what does it mean to be a man? Because mm. I had done everything society says a man was supposed to do to be happy. And yet I was absolutely miserable and I was confused. I was frustrated and I wanted to figure out how to be happy and what it meant to be a man authentically. Mm. And so, so coach, what, wait, coach, one second. So I want to check the timeline. So when you had that realization, like you to put the efforts into being happy over being rich, was that when these questions started to emerge for you? Absolutely. Because okay, that's okay. if, I, gotcha. if I go back a little further, when I was mm -hmm. 10 years old, yeah. I told my grandfather, I said, Grandpa, when I grow up, I'm going to be rich. He said, how are you going to do that? I said, I'm going to own my own company. Now, I'm 10 years old. I still remember this conversation to this day. Mm. I said, I'm going to own my own company. He said, well, great. He said, that's a wonderful goal to have. He says, now, if you're going to be rich, if you're going to own your own company, he said, I'm going to give you the two lessons that you need to learn. He said, if you learn these two things, I guarantee you, you can be rich. And this is what he said. Lesson number one, mm -hmm. if you're going to be rich, you have to learn to think like rich people. He said, the only difference between rich people and poor people is how they think. Okay. The second lesson, he said, if you're going to be rich, you have to learn to listen. He said, because rich people will tell you how they got rich. And he said, when I, when I say listen, he said, what I mean by that is you listen to their stories, you read their books, you learn from them. That's what he meant by listening. Now, right. at 10 years old, that's the conversation that I had. And as I mentioned earlier, at 23, I was living the American dream. Well, how did I right. do that? Because I listened to my grandfather. I was reading all these books on getting rich and making money. And that's right. where all of my attention and focus was. I was only thinking about making money. I wasn't thinking about my heart, my soul, my, my, my traumas, my healing and all of that. <sighs> So what oh, snap. So it was like when you saw all those books, it was like a window into what you created. It was like a reflection of everything you had created up until that point. Well, see, I was so focused on what yeah. my grandfather said about listening and thinking. Yeah. That I really didn't know how to pay attention to my soul, pay attention to my heart. Oh, I was so I was so driven by what society said I was supposed to be doing. Again, mm. having the house, having the car, having all of that, that's where my focus was. But it wasn't until I lost all of that. And that's when my soul woke up. And that's where, that's where that question came from. See, I'm absolutely right. clear that that question came from the deepest part of myself, which I'll choose to call my soul. My soul said, Michael, stop it. Stop mm. chasing money. That's not where it's at. My soul said, you want to be happy. You want to be fulfilled. You want to have joy and passion in your life. All I could see was money and dollar signs. Mm. So the universe has an amazing way of getting our mm. attention when we're not doing what we were put on the planet to do. So mm. from my perspective, what I see, what I recognize is my divorce, my bankruptcy, my foreclosure, my two years of being homeless was the absolute best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Why? Because 
The universe said you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing with your life. I need to take drastic measures to get your attention. So my belief system says there's but one presence and one power in the universe. I choose to call that presence divine intelligence. So divine intelligence says, look, you were put on this planet to play a, a bigger game and you're not playing it. So here's a slight detour you're going to have to take to get you back on track. So mm. as a result of my divorce, as mm -hmm. a result of my divorce, I stopped looking out there right. and I started looking in here and I started looking in here. And so one of the first things that I did was I gained the courage to go to therapy because I knew yeah. there was something that I couldn't fix. And so, well, let me back up a little bit. Yeah. I love books, reading, but see the downside, and this is what a lot of men struggle with, is we stay in our heads so yeah. much. Yeah, thank you for that, Coach. That we, yes. we, we try to figure it all out here, right? Yep. We try to figure yes. it all out. So I was reading books on depression. I was reading books on trauma, but I hadn't dealt with the emotion, the feeling of it, right? right. So I got to a point where all the books couldn't help me anymore. I needed something deeper. Once again, this is how the universe works. Are you familiar with a guy named John Bradshaw? No. Yeah, John Bradshaw, John Bradshaw was a therapist in Houston and he does what's called, his, his claim to fame was inner child work. So okay. he, was, he was famous for doing inner child work. But I read a book by John Bradshaw, once again, reading, I read a book and in the book, he said something that was really profound. He was talking about emotional healing. And he said, the only way to heal emotionally was to create what he called an interpersonal bridge with another human being. Okay, mm. so, so stay with me here. Creating an interpersonal bridge with another human being, meaning we need to be face-to-face -to, -face to be able to share our truths openly and honestly and have that reflected back to us and we can move through most of the emotional traumas that are in our lives, okay? Mm -hmm. So again, I was stuck in my head at the beginning reading the books, but when I gained the courage to go to therapy for the first time, I created that bridge. For the first time, I'm with a therapist who helped me begin recognizing what was driving my behavior. Mm. So, As a result of going to therapy, I start unlocking a lot of doors. And one of the doors that I unlocked was the impact of childhood trauma. And I possibly had the worst childhood a child could have. I want you to imagine the worst childhood you can think of and multiply by 10. That was my childhood. Every imaginable type of abuse I experienced from the age of six to 13. Extremely traumatic, no need to go into detail. But the point here is that when I went to therapy, I began to recognize how all of that trauma was still manifesting in my life as an adult. And the, the big aha moment for me, the yeah. big aha moment for me was I began to understand the 
impact of shame. You see, because of the trauma, huh. yeah. I had this deep feeling, this, this feeling that I was defective, that there was something wrong with me because of the mm. trauma, right? So I, get I, it. I created these defense mechanisms. One of my defense mechanisms was being smart. Okay, so by being smart, it gave me this false sense of I'm somebody. Mm. Okay, so all of my successes up to my yeah. divorce were based on shame. I was yeah. trying to meet other people's approval by being a manager and being successful and all of that, right? right. So it wasn't until I lost all of that stuff that I had to be willing to confront that core issue of shame and what John Bradshaw calls toxic shame. And so in healing that toxic shame, mm -hmm. I became free. That's what really released me. So you, there's, so we, there's a lot to unpack in what you said. So I wanna break down some of these because there's some key themes in what you said and what you experienced. So for, for, for those listening to this, that first piece is what you went to, when you spoke about divine intelligence, if, if, if someone's living a life, I'm gonna speak as, a, as for myself, because a lot of every, every, everything you said resonates deeply with me. That space, the first time you said was like, when divine intelligence it, it lets a person, lets me know, hey, you're, you're outside of what you're aligned to do, what you're here to do, reset. You said a detour. I look at this as a reset. And, I, and for those listening to this, if you're experiencing a difficult time, being in it sucks. And it's the chrysalis. For people like, what's this guy talking about chrysalis? As a reminder, chrysalis is that cocoon that a caterpillar goes into and they liquefy. So think about this thing. Think about like you go into your closet and you liquefy and then you come out as something else, okay? In the liquefaction process, you don't know what you're gonna come. You have yet to know that you're gonna come into this beautiful butterfly that gets to float and suck on nectar all day, okay? And now that piece is, is key to recognize because that means that there's an opportunity to see, to respect self, right? To see self again, which is what I heard you say you did. You're like, what does it mean to be a man? Hmm. Now I can relate to this because when I went through my divorce, the same questions came up for me, and especially this shame piece. Men, why it's key in these moments of down times to begin to respect self and see self again is because of what Michael's talking about right here. The things that brought you to the point where you are, where you're getting the reset, it was built on some freaking cards. Okay, it wasn't built on some good cement with some good foundation. It was built on crap. So this is the benefit of what we're talking about, this inner work piece, right? Because if, if we're going through, and this is why I see a lot of men have the same, same hiccup. You, uh, Coach, have you seen this as well? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's like they, they, men can fail to look, really look itself. Instead, I'm going to look and do the same thing I was doing expected a different result. And for those that are like, are like Paul, I know what you're going to say. If you do, then you know, it's insanity. Okay, it's insanity. So I really appreciate what, you, what you're saying. And I also appreciate the fact that you got help. Um, and I think that's, enough, that's the other key piece I want to touch on before we move on is 
the fact that uh, speaking in two categories, men and also black men specifically are resistant to getting therapy. Therapy. Oh God damn! I remember when I was going to uh, when I was going to marriage therapy, and people were like, "Fellas were like, I'm going to that shit." It's like a thing, like, yo, I got some ENJ, I got some Hennessy, and I got some real good weed. That's my therapist, because I'm gonna sit up on the couch and I'm gonna freaking chill, right? And and that's a destructive thing, whether rather when you're saying, I appreciate what you said about having someone there to be able to work through that toxicity, that shame. So like, so I gotta ask, man, when you were going through that, like how did you keep it all together, man? Because I know for me, when I was going through that space, that was extremely difficult. So I'm curious, especially with your demeanor, you have a calm demeanor, a strong demeanor. What was that experience like for you holding all that together or really more experiencing all that, man? So, so let's back up just a little bit. Yeah. The three most difficult words for any man to say is oh. I need help. Yep. Period. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what age you are. The three most difficult words are, I need help. Now, we have to understand the dynamics of patriarchal systems. Mm -hmm. So we've been conditioned to believe as men that we're supposed to be tough, we're supposed to be the providers, we're supposed to be the protectors. But we were never taught how to be connectors, how to connect. So we have to understand that this transformational process is just that. Now, I love your, um, your metaphor of the chrysalis because when that happens, when that caterpillar goes in that cocoon, it's what's called the imaginable, sa imaginable sales, I think it's called. It's a violent act that the mm -hmm. sales start eating each other to be transformed. Mm -hmm. So life is the same way. See, we live in a society of this quick fix, instant gratification, I'm fine kind of thing. No, it's mm -hmm. a process. And sometimes we have to go into the cocoon to be transformed. Yes. So what I, what I know with absolute certainty is that this process, if we commit to it, will always lead us to become the butterflies that we are designed to be. Mm. But it ain't easy. <laughs> mm. it ain't. Now, another part of that too, though, when I began this process, I was an atheist. I was a confirmed atheist. I, when I started going to therapy and doing all of that, see, in my mind, because of my attachment to understanding, right? Mm -hmm. I made up in my mind that if I couldn't figure it out and if science couldn't explain it, then it wasn't real. Mm. So when I first went to therapy and I started healing, I concluded, excuse me, why did I need God? because the mind in my experience held all the answers. And if I could just heal my childhood trauma, I would right. be happy and everything would be great. Why did I need God? Wow. Okay. So it's interesting though, if we authentically go on this journey and I right. believe it begins with healing. And, and again, I think, you know, you've heard the term spiritual bypass. Right. Mm -hmm. So yes. a lot of people will, will buy into this idea that, you know, if I just get spiritual enough, it'll fix everything. No. Mm -hmm. So for me, because I was an atheist, yeah. it worked to my advantage because 
I wanted to figure out the cause, the source of my pain. Mm. And when I figure out the cause and source of my pain, which was my traumatic childhood, then I had something to build on. Now, mm. as I continued my journey, healing my heart, getting in touch with my feelings and emotions and being able to express them authentically, I got to a point where science could only go so far. <laughs> right. I could only figure out and think so far. And it wasn't until, gosh, this was eight or 10 years into my process that I started questioning whether or not there was something bigger than myself. And that question guided me to ultimately going on this spiritual journey in which it began with Buddhism, which when I started studying Buddhism, once again, reading, I started reading all these books on Buddhism. And for the first time, I experienced something spiritual because within mm. Buddhism, they don't teach you what to think. They teach you how to think. They teach you how to recognize that you are the source of your suffering. There's no judgment and condemnation in it. It's about you being in connection with yourself and yep. trying to achieve what they might call your Buddha nature. Mm. So I really related to that because I was brought up Baptist and I really couldn't wrap my round wrap my mind around some of the teachings of the Baptist church because they were completely irrational to me. So when I found Buddhism, it simply opened up a new door. And by right. opening up that door, I became open to the possibility of something greater than myself. And then I just started studying all the major religions. And ultimately I found the place that works for me, which combines science and spirituality together. And I choose to call that which is greater than myself divine intelligence. And I believe that divine intelligence is inherent in all things. And I'm expression an expression of that divine intelligence. This is uh thank you for that. Thank you for that. And I this this actually brings brings us to our next point. Um, self-expression. Right? And why I bring this up is because I one of the one of the things, and as you were just talking, I realized I recognized one of the another one of the things I, I really appreciate about you and it's how you express yourself and you, authentically and you ground in self authentically and what I mean by that for people that are listening um I heard I heard you say you found the like I forget, I'm trying to remember the word you said but you found the spirit and the science together and this is how you identify something greater rather than going into this box of like, well, everybody else is calling it God or source or this. And I, I appreciate that. And I think that's a key thing for men to recognize is what something means for them. Like, what does it mean? What's the relevance? And even when like talking like how we're, we're gonna get into shattering the stereotypes. And I think it's a key thing to note as we're going into this is, um, and I mean, listen, I see us talking about this, you know, constantly having these markers of it's about self-development and self-assessment and seeing where I am and seeing, you know, what's out there, what's in, what's in front of me. And also being able to have the courage to be outside of the box and having the courage to dive into the uncomfy, comfy stuff, you know, the uncomfortable stuff. Right. And now, 
for, to switch to transition a little bit, Mike, uh, Coach, it, it's the fact that you have this expression, right? And and you've 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 gone along this path. When did you start uh, expressing yourself in the written form, in the form of the book, the the books that you have? Because like you know, when you and I spoke the other day. I was, I was, I remember that night after we spoke, I was, th- I was, I was vibing on your process and how you create, uh, was, I think is actually brilliant because I see how you create takes the mind out of it. And it's, I, I, I mean, it's my experience of what you told me. It's like, as I start to adapt that way, I'm like, it comes from the soul. Like I could consistently come from the soul rather than being like, I got to write today. So I'm curious as to what was the what was the switch for you? What was the confirmation for you to begin writing and and putting out material to share your experiences and to help people get to what you you know where you are now and what you're practicing? Well, once again, this is this is how divine intelligence and miracles work. So during the time that I was going through my trials, if you will. Mm-hmm. I was in a restaurant and I happened to overhear a conversation between these two young black professional, well-spoken, well-dressed young men, right? Two mm-hmm. black men. And in the conversation, they were talking about the eradication of black men from society. Mm. And it was one of the most depressing, sad conversations I'd ever heard because Again, these two brothers were talking about, you know, we, we've all heard the conversation, the white man is holding us back, you know, you know we've, we've heard that. But these brothers were articulating some ideas about how, you know, the judicial, judicial system was, was set up so that we couldn't succeed. And I mean, it, it was just, it was intelligent, but, but heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So I listened to their conversation for a moment and I walk over to their table. And I asked one of the guys, I said, man, please tell me you don't believe what you just said. This brother looked at me and it wasn't what he said as much as how he said it that broke my heart. He says, absolutely, I believe what I just said. And he said this, don't you watch the news? He said, I believe in 20 years, all black men will either be dead or in jail. His exact words, his exact words. And as I listened to him, again, it just broke my heart, right, in that moment. And I knew there was nothing that I could have said that would have changed his mind. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I simply said, don't believe the hype. Mm. And I walked away. But Paul, as I walked away, something in me said, you have to do something you have to do something. You have to do something to change the mindset of black men. Now, this was during a time in my life where my life was in total chaos. So who was I to do something? Who was I to even say I could do something? My life was a mess, right? But once again, this is how divine intelligence works. So I went on this amazing journey of transformation that I just mentioned, right? So I started healing my heart and putting my life back together. And then it hit me, write a book, share the lessons that you've learned that have helped you overcome the challenges in your life and target it specifically to black men. 
Mm. And so in 1995, I wrote Brothers, Are You Listening? And it was my attempt to get Black men involved in personal growth and development. Because yeah. during that transformational journey that I mentioned, yeah. all the books I read, the seminars that I'd gone to, the audio programs that I listened to, 95% of the time in any of those environments, I was the only Black person. Mm. I was the only Black relate. person. And so initially, there was some discomfort at the beginning saying, you know, to myself, should I be around Black people versus just white people? But then my heart said, no, you're here to heal. Mm. Doesn't care what color the people are. Are you healing and growing? Mm. So I moved past that initial I don't fit in because I'm black conversation because I knew I needed to heal myself. But then I also recognized that the reason I was the only black person in those environments is because the universe wanted me to take that information and share it with black men. Mm. So I connected. Now this took a couple of years, but I right. connected with purpose. See, right. I connected with purpose because the universe was saying, look, this is why you've gone through what you've gone through. And now here are some gifts that you have. This I never dreamed of being a writer. I had absolutely no experience yeah. of being a writer. I just I decided love, to write a book. I love that you say that. And I, and I sort of think that in reading uh, Shattering Black Male Stereotypes, I, I, I appreciate how you're, you're very candid in saying like, look, I didn't, you even said in part of the book, like, listen, brothers, are you listening? Was like your first go at it. Like, you know, you had done some things different, but like, you know, you put it out there, you know? And I think that's, that's, that's such an important thing to recognize because, you know, you, you chose to do something which was, which is providing something that I, in my judgment, black men have yet to really have. And I'm curious for you, because like, when you think about the self-development portion in the black in the black community, what you, what what are your thoughts, or what do you think are the reasons why self-development is is like almost non-existent in these communities? Well, a couple of things. First of all, in Brothers, Are You Listening, which was my very first book, mm -hmm. the very first chapter was titled "The That's What White People Do" mentality. Oh. Think oh. about that for a moment. Yeah. See, as a yeah. culture, as Black people, wow. we've wow. primarily relied on religion, Jesus or whatever, to deal with our wow. issues, right? So yeah. if there's something going on, what do we do? We go to church. Wow. And what do the yeah. people at the church do? They tell you to pray about it, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Spread yeah. about it. Well, that didn't work. Pray on it. Give it over to God. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. see, that, that didn't work for me. And fortunately for me, again, I, 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 <laughs> I chose to listen to my own soul. But see, I believe, once again, in divine purpose. Because as mm. I look back over my life, and all of the, not all of, but the majority of people that I follow, like Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra, and you know, all these guys in the personal development field, you know, that I learned so much from. And then I recognized I was a damn, I'm a black guy. I can't be the only black guy that think like this. Right. <laughs> I can't right. be, right? And that's right. when I started to, to, to put this out there because number one, I recognized the gift of writing, right. but more importantly, I recognized that I had a message that could help black men. 
Mm. And the downside of that is when I first started uh, promoting my book, Our Brothers, Are You Listening? I was absolutely blown away about how I was attacked and criticized for talking about things like emotional healing. I went on a major radio station here in Houston, Magic 102. I'll never forget. And this brother calls in. Now, I will say that most of the black men that were listening were very positive, okay? Mm-hmm. But there were some who were really, I mean, it, it, it just completely caught me off guard. So this one brother calls in and apparently he was, you know, one of these um, Louis Farrakhan, you know, African, whatever, you know, just real strong and black men and that whole conversation. And so he asked me online, you know, while I was doing the interview, he says, so I I can't remember exactly how he worded the question, but he basically said, how many books by black men did I get my information from? That's basically what he was saying. Hmm. And my response was, I don't care what color the person is who writes the books, if it's going to help me change my life. Right. Okay, that was, right. that was my response. And his response was basically that I had been brainwashed by white people because the books that I had read were by white people. Mm. So there was initially a lot of pushback, but again, most of the black men that I encountered were pretty open you know, yeah. to it, but it was discouraging for a while uh, mm. to be attacked and Chris, I remember one black guy actually saying, you're not black. Yeah, this is, you know, this is, this is really interesting to me because, you know, like, um, you and I talked about uh, prior to this several times, I remember us talking about our background. Um, And even, you know, I appreciate, you know, for those that have yet to get the book, get this book, Shattering Black Male Stereotypes, so the other other ones. In Shattering Black Male Stereotypes, you were talking about an incident where you became a manager of the hardware store. And it was in a, um, it was in a area that was, uh, was racist, you could say, right? And you had some people uh, in an incident that you described where um, someone came at you. And I think that's hurtful. And also what you're talking about as far as black, black men or black people saying things like that's a white shit or like you acted white or you're not black. That's even, to me, that's been even more hurtful because you, know, you look like me and, and you're saying these things and it hurts like, as I've gotten older, I found that it hurts in a different way because when I was younger, I found it was, it was hurtful in that, man, they're, 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 why, why won't they accept me? Like, oh, I'm, and that's, that's part of the shame too. Like I recognize as an adult, like I, I was like, oh, joke, that was living in me, man. Like, I'm not good enough for it to be black. I'm, I'm like, I'm not good enough, I'm not white. So like, what am I, you know? And I think it's, uh, so the, it hurts that way. But now as I got older, I find that it hurts in that there's a lack of education on the benefits of what this is. And also, as I'm doing my research, because I, I like, I like, uh, if you like you, I like to read and research things. I'm seeing that a lot of these things, as quote unquote, what white people do, was done by our ancestors in the motherland. You know, it's like they've been doing this. The kings and queens in our lines have been doing this, and there's this um, stigmatism or there's this conditioning that the things that are going to benefit you are white people stuff. 
Like that's what white people do. And I think that's, that's really, that's something that's really interesting because we're so conditioned to what people lo- are supposed to be like, speak like. And I think it's so insidious coach because it even, it weaves itself, it weaves itself so comfortably in cultures. And when I was reading your book, or as I'm reading your book, I, I think I was, I was, it, was such a, it was such a joy to hear your conversation and how you express these stereotypes, which I want to dive into before, you know, before we start wrapping up, because there's a couple of pieces I want to really hit on. And the thing that got me that I, wanted to, that I want to ask about is that, you know, you have a way of seeing things where I'm even like, yo, this dude handled, he's cool as a cucumber. Does this dude ever get mad? Like, how are you able to do that? Because I, I, I resonated with what those brothers were talking about. So when I read that in your book, I was like, man, Michael, man, I, I, I'm going to admit, like when I was reading your book, I was like, I don't, man, I'm going to read this. I don't know how this is going to resonate. <laughs> and like, really, and, and as I read, I'm like, I recognize in myself my resistances and how I'm like, I, I recognize this victim part of myself that was holding me back, like almost like creating this, this like, this doomsday scenario coach where it's like, man, ain't, ain't gonna, nothing gonna happen for us. And all of a sudden you, what you think becomes, what we think can become reality. So I, I'm, you know, so that, that I want to, I want to go into um, this and for pe- like, I, and when people listening to this, this means I'm holding up his book, people watching on video, you can see what I'm doing, damn it. Um, shattering black male <laughs> stereotypes. So listen, so um, I encourage, and listen, Michael, and m- maybe the, the intention for who this is for is different, but for me, like reading this, I would encourage everyone to read this book because I, I you know, when all everything was going on with, with you know, with, with, with uh, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, it was like, yo, pick some artists. I'm like, yo, pick this right here. Cause like what you talk about when you talk about the uh, CWBS, that right there was tip top because that's exactly what's driving this. And for people like, what does that mean? Well, when you get the book, you'll learn for yourself. All right, so I'm just gonna put that out there. But like, I really appreciate. I think this is something that um, that that everyone gets to read because I think that how black men are perceived is woven into our culture. So to the way you write about this, and I think you do a really great job of, of, of writing this line of story, experience, what can be, what is. So I say that because like, you know, for example, I'll, there's a part I'm gonna, we're gonna dive into specifically, but just to read off some of these things, the stereotypes of black men are endangered species, which is where that conversation came from. Um, black men try to be white. That one resonated with me. That one resonated because growing up in an affluent suburban neighborhood, child, man, I still get like, man, you talk, what? you talk so well. <laughs> like, you're so articulate. You're so articulate. <laughs> where did you go to school? 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like, what would you expect me to talk? Anyway, um, another one that resonated deeply with me, black men are deadbeat dads. For any, any non-custodial black man out there that's listening to this, highly recommend you read that. Um, and, and also the, uh, the black men are less intelligent and also black men use race as an excuse for failure. That one resonated with me deeply as well. But what I want to dive into, which is, I think is applicable to black men and also to men in general is men are angry and violent. So when you, when, uh, before I dive into this, I want, I, I, I welcome the opportunity to um, and into and I also side note, I love how you have these quotes at the beginning of the chapters. It really sets the tone. So I appreciate thank you for that. For this one in particular, I'm going to read this Alice Walker quote that you have from the way forward is a broken is with a broken heart. Healing begins where the wound was made. So when you put this illusion in the book, what was your motivation to have this in the book? I'm curious. Well, for all the listeners and viewers out there, I want you to just think about this. When was the last time, other than on Paul's podcast, <laughs> when was the last time that you heard a Black man talking about things like intimacy, vulnerability, joy, okay? If you turn on mainstream television, in most cases, what you'll see is black men being portrayed as angry and violent. So look what happened during the protest. So you have a protest and where do they focus their attention on? Looting, what do you hear? These thugs. So there's this insidious illusion that's put out there that black men have this, that somehow inherently we're more angry and violent than other races and yet there's no scientific evidence to support that whatsoever but what happens is and we you talked about the cwbs which is the collective white belief system he just gave you a gem people <laughs> the, the collective white belief system has perpetuated this illusion since we were brought over here Mm -hmm. that we are somehow inherently more angry and violent. Now, here's the sad part about that. As black men, if we're unwilling to address and do our inner work and heal the anger, this trauma that we experience, then we perpetuate that illusion. Mm. And so that's why having these types of conversations are so important because as black men, if you'll be honest, we have every reason in the world to be angry. Yes. <laughs> I mean, think yes. about it. We, we have every reason to be angry. Yep. And in no way do I want to tell a black man not to feel anger. Anger is healthy, right? right. Yes. But it has yes. to be handled appropriately. So what has happened though is this illusion, this stereotype is so pervasive in our society. For example, you look at the, the current police brutality situation. So a policeman was asked, why did he shoot? 
the guy. I don't remember what the case was. And the guy said, I felt threatened. Okay. Mm-hmm. But why did he feel threatened right. when the brother didn't have a gun, didn't have a knife, didn't have anything in his hand? The only thing he had was black skin. Mm-hmm. So why did the mm-hmm. officer feel threatened? Because he had bought into the stereotype that black men are angry and violent. So mm-hmm. a lot of men, white men, policemen, they go into these environments and they see a black man. And the first thing that comes to mind is they're a threat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> why is that? Because they've been bombarded with this illusion through the media that that's who right. we are. Ah, so, so something with words was coming up for me as you were talking about this, right? Because, um, uh, and this might be classified, this is some white people shit, but like, I I remember talking to a therapist uh, about words. The therapist was my mentor for about a year and a half, almost two years. And he talked about something called a, a feeling thought merger which is a, it's like a short circuit in the brain. So I wanna continue what you're saying, but I wanna explain this for a second. So saying something like, I feel threatened. What he told, what he explained to me is that the feel, there's a different feel. Threatened is a thought, right? I have to think something, I have to see something and then my brain will process this is a threat. So the brain processing it, it's a thought. I think, I think this person's a threat. Well, what do you feel? I feel fear. What is that fear? Well, I remember this scenario, or I remember this. And I remember finding this very interesting in being in a lot of circles and facilitating these circles when a lot of the racial tension was going on several months ago. It was being able to get behind the thought because then it, then it gave people an opportunity to recognize the feeling and what's that conditioning that was behind it. Like, well, I've seen on TV that black people are usually stealing TVs and doing all these things. When in reality, it's like, hold up, this is far from the truth. And the interesting part is that it can infuse itself in a culture where the culture is like, well, this is how they think I'm gonna act anyway. So this is what it is. And it's interesting, something that I think is really key to note, um, especially in this anger, you said, you, you mentioned you know, we have we do have a right to be angry. And I think what's what's fascinating and interesting, speaking from um, listen, this could happen for any man, is that when we fail to recognize and express that anger, learn how to express the anger in a healthy way. Um, when I personally stuff the anger, when I deal with like racial adverse racism and, and systemic racism, I found that when before I had ways of managing it, it splattered out in everyone I cared about. Right. It's in working with men coming out of the prison system or in danger of going in, like when they stuff shit, all of a sudden something comes out and they did harm and now they're behind bars. Knowing damn well they're gonna look for us first. And when we have these conditions when we fail to recognize them, they can they can explode, they can implode within us. So I wanna I wanna touch on a couple of things because we talk about and this goes into uh, to jump ahead. The part that really got me was when you talked about play, right? And you talked about play in relation to mental illness. So I'm curious, like, how did that come into play when you're talking into how to play on words? Look what I did there. So how did that come into into existence when it came to like that anger 
um, and, and violence piece uh, with this with this illusion. Well, but let, let's let's go a little deeper though, because you said okay. something that's extremely important. Mm -hmm. It was the thought that generated the feeling. Okay? Yes. So the police officer has a thought. Underneath the thought, what caused the thought? What caused the thought is the belief. Mm. See, as human, as human yes. beings, we have this storehouse, this subconscious storehouse of beliefs. So in his storehouse of beliefs, he had a belief that black men were violent, which created the thought I need to protect myself or he's a bad guy or whatever. So if we really narrow it down to causation, yeah. all of these stereotypes are really just deeply held subconscious beliefs. Yep. And beliefs yes. create thoughts, thoughts create actions, actions mm. create results. So, mm if we've got all these subconscious beliefs, these stereotypical beliefs about black men, and especially for the white people that are watching this who may not have close contact with black people, mm -hmm. where do their beliefs come from? Right. Through the media and their families. Right. If they haven't had firsthand experience, then what they generally do, they default to the beliefs that were instilled in them by the media. Yes. That's yes. why it's so important that the media does a better job of showcasing black men in a positive light. Mm -hmm. That's why it's incumbent upon us as black men to have these types of conversations so that we are challenging any beliefs that we may hold about ourselves that are keeping us from living our fullest potential. Yes, man. So Preach. if you yep. really go deep, it really boils down to the fact that beliefs create reality. Mm -hmm. Your deeply held subconscious beliefs are manifested in your outer world. Yes. If you want to change your outer world, you got to change your inner world. Your inner world begins with your beliefs. Yep. So it's interesting that we that we're talking about this because I personally believed, haha, that the reason one of the things that's brought us to where we are as a collective is our beliefs coming to the forefront. Like all the all the beliefs that we've had inside as a unit, as a collective, as a conditioning. Huh. Well, guess what? It's being represented out here in the world in many ways, many ways. And I think this is, it's in order for us to really truly move forward. And this is something that I've, 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 I'm constantly thinking about is transcendence. What are the ways of transcending my perceived belief and uh, or my belief or my perceived uh, perception of a situation, because this is you. You're absolutely correct, and I think this is this is you know you mentioned this. It's about development, right? It's about like one of the reasons why you do the why why you why I heard you say why you write these books is is to help men, black men, develop and give them these gems that you've collected, so that they can learn. Like, listen, this is this this stereotype of being angry and violent. Like, no, this is there's something else underneath that. 
So I think this is a key thing to note too, because you know we're talking about the belief, collective belief system and you hit on a key th piece too. What's the internal belief system, right? Like what is it do I really, as, and, and I'm, I'm gonna speak again from two perspectives. What is it that I believe I am as a man and what it is, what is it that I believe I am as a black man and constantly challenging the two? Because for me, I'm finding coach, like when I'm challenging those things, I'm like, okay, what does this even mean? Like, so like, I'm going to, I'm going to speak in something um, concrete. Cause like, I'm, I'm, I'm I like, what's coming up for me is like, I feel like we're doing, we're talking to tangible. So um, for people that have yet to know, I have a juice business. I started a juice business during this pandemic um, while I was healing from hip surgery. And it's, it's like, you know, I was really excited about getting the juices out there. People, people like build their immunity. Like, yes, thank you. And there's days like, listen, I have pickups on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I make the juices overnight. I don't want to do it. Right. To me though, being a man is sticking to my commitments and seeing it through and digging through the stuff that, hey, you know what? I don't wanna do it. And this is what I get to do, right? To me, that's like, I had to look at that example and be like, oh, I don't really wanna do it. Like really, I could, I, I have the choice to say, you know what, man? I don't care if I got orders, they'll get it when they get it. Or I could step up and be like, they have ordered it. I'm gonna make this thing happen. They're gonna get this drink by 10 o'clock a.m. Even if it means I get no sleep, there's a weekend, I'll get sleep, I'll, I'll figure it out, <laughs> right? To me, that was, that's, that's what it meant to be a man, right? And if before that, it was like, look, being a man is creating something and seeing it through. Okay, I saw it through. Now maintaining it is another version of being a man for me. So yeah. I bring that because like men, there's, there's what, what is, uh, as you listen to this podcast, I invite you to think of, what does being a man mean for you, right? What does all that stuff mean? Check in with yourself about that. But, um, but Paul, but Paul yeah. let, me, let me touch on this because this is the reason why I wrote the book primarily. Mm -hmm. The key for us as black men is to change our inner narrative about ourselves. Mm. You see, because we all know what the exterior narrative says about us, right. okay? We have no control over what they, whoever they are, are going to say about us. But we have complete control over who we are. Mm. Now, one of the things that I still get a lot of pushback on is I, when I coach men, especially black men, the one thing that I drive home is that you must first and foremost see yourself as a man who happens to be black. Mm. Think about this for a moment. Yeah. You are a man who happens to be black. Now, a lot of black men struggle with that because it almost feels like I'm denying my ethnicity by saying that. But the truth is you are a man first. Right. And if you can grasp that idea that you are a man. And from my belief system, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. 
So if I'm a spiritual being, I'm a human being first, I'm not denying my ethnicity. I love being black. I just, dude, let me tell you, I love the skin that I am, uh, that I'm in. I love black culture. I love everything about it. But I also recognize that's not really who and what I am. Because who and what I am is this divine expression of the infinite. That this thing called ethnicity is just a suit of clothes that I'm temporarily wearing while I'm here. If you can embrace the idea <laughs> that you are simply a divine expression of God in human form, then that ethnic, ethnic stuff just kind of secondary. Because your ability to create, because as spiritual beings, we're creative beings. Your ability to create has nothing to do with your ethnicity. So we can create joy, passion, purpose, businesses. We can create whatever our heart desires, but we have to be willing to tap into the divine essence of who we are. And if we're so attached to being and defending being black men, we miss out on who we really are. Because as a man who happens to be black, I embrace my ethnicity. I have no shame in my ethnicity, but I recognize the source. What is the source of my joy? my passion, my purpose. It has nothing to do with this body. It has everything to do with my soul. And so if we're willing to go there, to tap into that, then there is absolutely no limits to what we can do, be, or have. And that's a real challenge for a lot of us as Black men to accept. I have to, tell, I have to say, Coach, as you were talking about that, I was feeling resistance. Like I was feeling like, wow. I was feeling, I was feeling like a knot in my solar plexus and it was rising up to my chest and then up to my throat. Uh, that's very interesting. The language, the shift in language and the reframe. And, and you hit on something that put me in a quick thought uh, path where you so you say like it's basically it's some see it as almost denying, and I felt that it's like wait hold on I gotta hold on to like wait wait hold on man like am I is this denying and that's a very interesting piece man I I mean wow that's deep it's 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 challenging because once again as human beings right okay. We have a tendency to hold on to that which is comfortable and real for us, right? So as a human being, as a black man, you're going to hold on to that identity as a black man, right? Mm -hmm. The only way to move past that or to get past it is to look at it from a spiritual perspective. As a spiritual being, which right. you are, which yeah. is, I believe, your divine connection to the infinite. You can call it whatever you want to call it everything arises from that source of who you are you know i love i love the um, the um the metaphor of the ocean right mm -hmm. so if i look at this ocean 
amazing, beautiful, majestic thing called the ocean, okay? If I get a jar and I walk over to that ocean and I scoop up some of that ocean, right? As I look at the ocean in the glass, the ocean in the glass has all the same characteristics, attributes. It is the ocean, right? Right. Well, actually, it's just an expression of the ocean. It's a it's an expression a sample, of the ocean. Yeah. Now, when you separate it from the ocean, it's still the ocean, but because it's no longer connected to the ocean, then yeah. if you don't nurture that, that ocean will dry up but it's still the essence of the ocean even when it's gone but as a human being if we see ourselves as simply divine cups of the infinite we're no different we have all the same attributes characteristics of the ocean put another way of god if god is the ocean you're in a divine expression of the ocean you are god right you're no different than but you could never be the totality of it, but you're not different and separated from it. So if you can grasp the idea that who and what you are is a divine jar of the ocean, you are a divine expression of the infinite, no different, no separation. You are in essence, an expression of God. That has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Right. It has nothing to do with where you were born. It is who and what you are. And when you tap into that, there is absolutely nothing you cannot be, do, or have. Mm. Damn. Now, sit, sit with that one for a minute. <laughs> Damn. Damn, I'm so happy I get to edit this and listen to this many times because you 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 brought the whole shebang bang up in there, man. <laughs> <laughs> you brought, oh my goodness, man. Oh man, um, I, I'm gonna leave us at this because I'm even thinking that, man, wow. Um, wow, wow, wow. I'm, first of all, <laughs> yeah, listen, so while I'm processing this, man, tell people how they can get in contact with you because I'm still like, <laughs> like I'm like, wait. Um, well, yeah, well, Paul, can... as, as, as you're chewing on that, I, I also want to dispel another stereotype. Please, so yeah, there's, yeah. This, there's a stereotype in the Black community mm -hmm. that we don't support each other. I'm sure, you've, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard that a million times, right, that we don't support yes. each other. Yes. As black men, as men who happen to be black, it is incumbent upon us to support and empower each other now sure. more than ever. So sure. when you reached out to me and said, hey, Mike, would you be my podcast? My immediate immediate thought was, first of all, I know Paul. I love Paul. I definitely want to be on his podcast. But at the same time, I also wanted to support you and your work. Mm. See, so I want to support you and your work because it is you and your work that's going to transform men's lives. Now, you and I both know that men's work has nothing to do with ethnicity, right. but there's a reason that two black men 
are having this conversation because black men need to hear it from us. Shame. Yo, blessings. Yeah. We're not we're not excluding white men from this conversation. True. But what we are doing is we're attracting, bringing to black men who may not have had this message to let them recognize what's possible. Shame. So, yes. therefore, as black men, as men who happen to be black, it is incumbent on us to start supporting and empowering each other and not place blame and point fingers and say what we can't do. And let's start talking about what we can do. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to do, what we can do. And I know what we can do and it's infinite what we can do. So with that being said, you go to shattering black, <laughs> shattering black male stereotypes.com. And again, if you happen to be white watching this, I can assure you it will be an enlightening conversation. Yes. You will not feel guilty about reading it. I'm True. not attacking, I'm not attacking white people in the system. No, I'm giving you some an opportunity to change some beliefs that you may not even recognize that you have. Mm -hmm. And in changing those beliefs, we start healing this country. Yes. That's what this is about. It's about healing this country. So again, I am a commitment to men's work and empowering men of all ethnicities. But there's been a lack of exposure. There's been a lack of black voices within this men's movement. And so my goal, my job is to support other black men to get them more engaged in this conversation. And so it has been my absolute honor and privilege to be on your podcast. You know, I absolutely love and adore you, my brother. And thank you for this opportunity to share uh, what you've gotten out of the book. I appreciate that. Man, yeah. Oh, brother, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your support. Um, you know, uh, coaches supporting me and, and, and guiding me as I'm, I'm it will be guiding me as I'm, I'm going into the, the steps of being an author myself. So uh, I'm seeing all you, I see all the cool kids doing it. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to give it a go. So I appreciate you for being here because your wisdom is top notch, man. It's tip top. It's galactic. I love you. I adore you. I support you as well because like, I see what you put out here and I see, I feel your heart. I feel your heart, man. And I feel your passion. And Fellas, connect with this man. Social media, connect with him. Black men, let's support each other. Let's 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 share this. Share this. Share this with men. Share this with black men. Um, and you hit it right on the head. Your book is is a read for everyone. I encourage everyone to get this book, read it, especially with how things are going or how things will go. Please, 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 because it's like good for us to have this conversation. So thank you everyone that's tuned in. I appreciate you for being here. Thank you for tuning in to the Men Talk About podcast for the men and the masculine energy for men's development, men's inner work, men's education. I'm so freaking grateful that we recorded this. <laughs> I'm so grateful, man, because I can watch it and hear it again. Yes. So I appreciate you. Thank you, coach. Um, and uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm most like I know you have another book coming out because that's how you do. So, um, and actually, after I get, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure. After I read 
finish this one, what would you recommend as my next book to read? The Cure for Onlyness. Okay, done and done. I'm ordering it. Bless up to you, coach. I appreciate you. Yeah, so no. But here's what I want you to do. If you're going to order it, order it from my website so I can personalize it for you. See, if, if you order from my website, I can actually autograph it and sign it and inscribe it. And there's so much I want to say to you. So, oh, man. <laughs> done and done. Thank you, Coach. So, yeah, just order from one of my websites. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for the time. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Appreciate you, Coach. Peace.